Go ahead and take your Bibles tonight and turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter number 10, 1 Samuel chapter 10. I'm going to reference uh, Matthew chapter 2 just to make it tied to Christmas, right? The Pee Wee and Pat's Christmas program, so the pastor ought to follow suit and preach something Christmassy, as I said this morning. I don't know if that's a word or not, but anyways, I think you know what I mean. Uh, So um, anyways, uh, this is where we are in our series in 1 Samuel. Totally odd to do this on a night that has a little bit of a Christmas feel to it. I think you'll see where we're going. And honestly, we'll probably just really just camp out in 1 Samuel and just preach it. There's enough right there to preach. But I think you'll see a a connection that hopefully you won't perceive to be a, a, a big time stretch, A little stretch? Maybe. No, I don't think it'll be a stretch. I'm making you more nervous than I should. Let's just read the Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 10, and uh, we'll begin reading verse 17. 1 Samuel 10, verse 17. um, Although we really, last time we left off, which was, by the way, October the 31st, it's been a while just because of special Sundays and all that's going on. But we really left off with verse 9. So technically our text is going to begin in verse 10, but we'll just start in verse 17 and refer back to it here in just a moment. So 1 Samuel 10, our series is entitled, When a Nation Needs Revival. If you care about America, I think you agree we need revival spiritually. And we're looking at how can a nation have revival. Verse 17 says this, And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah, and said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all kingdoms and of them that oppressed you. Verse 19, these two verses are, I'm I'm trying to labor on reading these because these are very key to the passage. Verse 19 especially Samuel preaches to Israel and says, and you have this day rejected your God, rejected your God who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said unto him, nay, but set a king over us. Now, wherefore, Present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri or Matri was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. So it narrowed it down. All the tribes, down to Benjamin, down to Matri, down to Kish, down to Saul. He's the new king. He's the first king of Israel. Verse 21. And when they sought him, he could not be found. That's a bummer. You know, here you are about to have your coronation service and you can't find your king. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come thither. In other words, is is he on his way? Where's he at? Where's where's the king? Where's the king? Where's the king of Israel? 
And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. You gotta love that verse right there. He hid himself among the stuff. And they ran and fetched him thence. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any other people from his shoulders and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And the people shouted and said, God save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom. Now this is, this is important, verse 25. And wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent, away, sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And there went with him a band of men whose, heart, whose hearts God had touched. But the children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents but he held his peace. Okay, now, I know many of you know the reference in Matthew 2. You don't have to turn there, but it says, Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Two searches for the kings of Israel. You say, that's a stretch. It's a search for the king. We can't find the king. Where's the king? They said in the days of Saul, where is the king? Well, then these men came from the east and said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? So tonight I'd like to preach to you with the primary focus on Saul, this title, the search for Israel's king. The search for Israel's king. May God bless the reading of his word here tonight. As you're seated, we'll get into it. <clears throat> the Bible records uh, two occasions when a search was made for Israel king, Israel's king. Uh, really three, if you count the search for David, um, God sent Samuel, we'll read in chapter 16, to uh, anoint David as the king that was after God's own heart, mind you. But really, we can maybe say two occasions when they were looking for the king. They knew he was present, but they didn't know exactly as to where he was. We've read the one here in 1 Samuel. We've read the second in Matthew chapter number two. They couldn't find Saul because he was hiding. They couldn't find Jesus because they didn't know exactly where he was, but the star was showing the way. One search, if you allow me to put it this way, one search, the search in 1 Samuel, led to disappointment. The other search led to great glory as they came and bowed the knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, what we need to focus on tonight, just to be true to our series in 1 Samuel and really just to try to mine out what's here, because there's a lot here that, that really is worthy of our attention as to the background of it and why uh, that they were wanting a king in the first place. I'd want to bring everybody up to speed, of course, on that. But understand why their search for this king, namely Saul, 
why it ended in disappointment, by contrast, why the search for Jesus resulted in great glory, but specifically, why did the search for Saul and the appointment of him as king, why did it end up as a disappointing situation? Although, when you read first chapter, sorry, first Samuel seven, first Samuel ten, um, you maybe aren't picking up on the uh, the case of disappointment regarding Saul, and that's only because it's a little bit too early to see that just yet. But those of you that are Bible readers, which would be a va the vast majority, would already know. Saul was not some great improvement to the country of Israel. Saul would prove rather to be a great disappointment. Now, Israel sought a man to be their king. Up to this point, uh, God had been their ruler. He had brought them out of Egypt. He had taken good care of them. Would you agree with that tonight? That God had taken fantastic care of Israel. He saved them from Egypt. He, he preserved them through the wilderness. He brought them into the land of Canaan. He gave them the land of Canaan. I mean, he took care of them by manna. He took care of them by quail. He took care of them against the inhabitants of the land. I'm telling you, listen, God had been a good ruler in their life. To be very honest with you tonight, they didn't really need another king. They didn't really need another ruler. Now, I, I do hasten to say this, that... Uh, the desire to have a king was not against God's will. In fact, God had said to Abraham way back uh, at the time of Abraham that out of your loins, out of the, uh, between you and Sarah, you would have a child uh, named Isaac and that it's out of your loins that a king would come. In fact, God was so specific that he said this uh, through Moses and, and, and through, I'm sorry, through Joseph and, and those that it would be through the line, through the line of Judah that that, uh, I'm sorry, it was Jacob that indicated that, that it would be the line of Judah, specifically of the 12 tribes of Israel, that, uh, that the king would come. So it was not God's, it was not against God's will that they would have a king. God himself said they would have a king. Deuteronomy chapter 17, if you remember that in Deuteronomy 17, God gives the guidelines as to how a king is supposed to rule. He's not to collect himself a bunch of wives. Not many of them listen to that one. They're not to, not to amass wealth under themselves. They're not to amass military under themselves. And, and in other words, they're supposed to do this. They were supposed to trust God because even though they were gonna go from being under God's direct rule to a monarchy, monarchy being the rule under a king, they were still supposed to function as a theocracy. In other words, just because they had a king did not mean that God was not the ruler. Everybody, everybody catching this? And that's why Samuel says, listen, when you have this king, then we're gonna write it down in this book. This is what you're supposed to go by. And I think probably what, this is speculation on my part, I acknowledge that, but I think what probably what Samuel wrote down would have been some, some assessment or some summary or maybe even verse by verse what Deuteronomy 17 said about how a king ought to be because they needed to understand this, that even though you're under a man's rule, ultimately you need to understand this, life is only gonna work if you work under God's authority. If you try to work under a man's authority alone, you will be sorely disappointed because you shouldn't put trust in man whose breath is in his nostrils. You shouldn't put trust in the legs of a man or the arms of a man. You own, your trust 
is only in the right place when it's in God. Okay, so Israel sought a king. And, and so they wanted a king other than God. They said to Samuel, you're old. They said, they said to Samuel, Samuel, we don't want you to rule. You know why they didn't want God, Samuel to rule? He was too much like God. Now Samuel's sons had gone a different direction and so it was right that they would not be qualified to rule, but they didn't want Samuel or anybody like Samuel to rule. Listen, listen tonight, they wanted a king like all the other nations. And so watch this, because, because they had rejected God as their ruler, their standards were off. Because they rejected God as their ruler, their standards were off. And so they said, we want a king that's powerful. We want a king who's wealthy. We want a king who'll lead us into battle. We, we want a king. We want a king like the Hittites king. You mean the king like we destroyed? Just let that sink in just a minute. We want a king like the Hittite king. We want a king like the Gershite king. We want a king like all the other kings, like the ones that we've already wiped out. Some of you are getting this and some of you are not. We want a king like all the other nations. They had a wrong emphasis. They overlooked problems. Because when you reject God's rule, you begin to emphasize wrong things in your life. And when you reject God's rule, you overlook problems because you're only seeing things the way that you want to see them. They overlooked that Saul was from Benjamin rather than from Judah. He said, well, God chose him. Well, look what God's doing here. God's given them what they wanted. God's given them what they deserved. God's given them a king just, just like all the other nations because they, here's what they really wanted. They wanted somebody that would rule their life who was just like them. Saul was tall. Saul was big on looks. He was a handsome man. The Bible says he was goodly. Uh, he was a handsome man. He was a wealth, from a wealthy family. We know that because his family had servants. We know that because his family had donkeys. I mean, he was like the luxury ride of the day, don't you know? And, and so they were a wealthy family, powerful family. And, and so it's like they were getting just exactly what they wanted in Saul. He was tall on looks. He was big on looks, but he was short on spirituality. He didn't even know Samuel. He didn't even know the man of God. He didn't even know the, the prophet, the one that, that was known throughout Israel. Listen, he lived five miles from Samuel and he did not know who he was. And he's supposed to be the leader of the nation of Israel, the people of God. And he doesn't even know the man of God. Do you see a problem with this? Living only five miles, listen, he had great access to spirituality, but access is different than application. I'm saying to you tonight that you could grow up in a good home, in a godly home, and yet not have a spiritual walk with God. You could be in a godly church and it not be affecting you because, listen, access is not the same as application. Everybody needs to know that. Everybody needs to take that in because you've got access to the Bible tonight. You've got access to the Bible every day as you have a Bible. We are privileged to have access to great spiritual truth through God's Word. But just because you have access to it, friend, does not mean that you're making application of it.
And if you only have access to it, it does not mean that it's doing any good in your life because you can have access to a lot of things and yet not utilize it and it's not going to do you any good. And that's exactly how Saul was. He had access to men like Samuel. He had access to, to the Word of God. He had access to many things. He had access to prayer. And yet, listen, when the donkeys were lost and he was trying to find his, uh, his father's donkeys, he didn't even think about praying. It wasn't until his servant said something about, maybe we ought to pray about this. Maybe we ought to go to the man of God and find out something about this. I'm telling you, he had all kinds of advantages. He had all kinds of opportunity, but yet he did not take advantage of that. And he couldn't even find his father's lost donkeys that had gone astray. How in the world do you think that he'd lead a nation that had gone astray from God back to God? Mm. So Samuel said, I'm going to, God told Samuel, I'm going to set Saul up as king. And by the way, God did not set Saul up to fail. God gave Saul opportunity in his mercy. I'm telling you, God did. And, and he gave him the signs. He, he anointed him. And, and that was symbolic of God's claim on his life and God's empowerment in his life. And, and then he arranged circumstances. I mean, there's no way that Samuel could have done this. He said, you're going to meet two men that will, uh, that on the way, and, and they're going to do this. They're going to tell you the donkeys were found. You're going to meet three men, and they're on their way up to Bethel. And then you're going to meet a company of prophets, and then the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. Listen, there were signs about this. There was indications that God had installed Saul as the first king of Israel. And all these things happened. Saul prophesied just like God said he would. The Spirit of God came upon him so much so that people said, is Saul among the prophets? Isn't his dad, you know, Kish and he's not a prophet? What's he doing? It was really confusing to the people that way. And, and, and so Saul, though, it's, it's evidence. It's evidence to us in this way that God was at work in Saul's life and would have given him opportunity to do right because God doesn't set people up to fail. He doesn't. Verse 18 and 19 are really key to the passage. It's already pointed out in the Bible reading time that Samuel's preaching to them and he's saying, listen, here's the problem. It's not that you have rejected, I'm sorry, it's not that you're looking for a king. The problem is this, you have rejected God. Look at verse 18 again, if you would, please. He says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians. And he says, I also brought you out of the hand of all the kingdoms that oppressed you. In other words, he's saying this, God's done you only good. I can say to you tonight, God's only done you good, friend. He's only done you good. He's only done right in your life. Uh, hang on, wait a minute. Before we move on, let me say this. God has not failed you. God has not failed you. He has only done right. Verse 19 says, And ye have this day rejected your God. You know what I like about Samuel? He didn't, he didn't act like everything was okay when it wasn't okay. He flat told it like it was. He said, listen, this is, the, I, this is your, I mean, think about this. This is a great jubilation day. I mean, they're supposed to install their first king and, and Samuel's just saying, well, listen, let me explain to you why this is happening because you've rejected God. You're talking about putting a damper on a holiday. If you think this sermon's not going so swell, think about Samuel's. 
I mean, it's at a place where, I mean, this is supposed to be a festive day. I mean, everybody's here, the, the, whole, the whole tribe of Israel, the whole, pe the whole people of Israel's there and it's supposed to be this big high day. And here Samuel is just raining on their parade. Well, they'd already rained on their own parade. Because here's why he's saying, listen, this is taking place because you've rejected God. You've tried to replace God. You can't expect things to go well that begin in rebellion against God. Does everybody listen to this? You can't expect things to go well. You can't expect things to turn out great when it starts in rebellion to God. Now, now wait a minute. I want to thank God for his mercy. I want to thank God tonight because some people get out of God's will. I've been out of God's will. You've been out of God's will. I mean, every one of us has struggled with being in God's will. I'm thankful for the times that when I'm out of God's will, that God in his mercy, God in his love has come and spoke to me to help me get back in his will. But I'm telling you, I should not expect that things are going to continue, that things are going to get better without me getting in God's will. It really, it can't get better that way. I can't expect I'm rebelling against God. I expect things are going to improve here. That, that's, not, that's not right thinking. So if something doesn't start right, we should not expect that it's going to end better unless somebody takes heed to God's admonition. Somebody takes heed to God's call to repent. Somebody recognizes I've done wrong. I'm in a bad spot. I'm in a dark place. I've made a wrong decision. I've sinned against God. I, I'm here in this pig pen eating hog food when I could be back home with my father. I'm thinking about that prodigal son who the Bible says came to himself and realized what in the world am I doing here? I've made a wrong decision. I'm telling you, friend, if he just kept going down that road and he never repented, it would not have gotten better for him. And Samuel is saying to Israel, listen, and listen very clearly. The reason why you're having this coronation service today for this king is because you have flat rejected God's rule in your life and you think, you think that this king is going to succeed where God has failed. But I'm here to tell you, friend, God has not failed. And you should never get in your mind in any way that somehow something can successfully replace God. There's no one, there's nothing that can successfully replace God. If you think for one millisecond that there's anything that can satisfy you the way that only God can, you will be sorely disappointed. They were saying God's failed us. We need a new leader. We need a new leader, somebody that's powerful. Did you hear the irony of what I just said? We need somebody that's powerful. We need somebody that'll lead us into victory. We need somebody that'll be a good leader. We need somebody who always be there for us. Where's he at? We have no idea. Has anybody seen Saul? 
I mean, imagine this situation. Okay, hang on a minute. I'm not sure how this is going. I, I've got to, I got I to make sure everybody's getting this. Because what they did is they said, okay, God, God says you're going to get a new king and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to get all the tribes together and then we're going to narrow it down, process of elimination. And we're going to see which tribe he's going to come from. And so the tribe of Benjamin was called. So all the other 11 were out. So now it's Benjamin. Okay, so now let's get it down to, the, to which family? Matt tribe, Matt tribe family. Okay, Matt tribe family. You're called. Okay, now let's narrow it down. Down to Kish. Kish maybe had other kids. He did. So Kish, now which son is it? Oh, Saul. Okay, Israel, now introducing your new king, your new leader, the one who's going to judge you, the one who's going to lead you, the one who's going to provide for you. None other than... Saul, none other than Saul. This would be a good time for Saul to enter. None other than Saul, and he wasn't there. Disappointment. In fact, it was very symbolic of how his reign would go. Because on matters of righteousness, he was vacated. He was vacating his office. In fact, in matters of righteousness, sometimes he got ahead of God. When he was supposed to be patient, he was impatient and he offered up sacrifices when he was supposed to be waiting for Samuel. Anybody listen to me here tonight? And when he was supposed to slay all, the, all the, the people of Agag, including Agag, he kept the best for himself. That's their king. When a giant named Goliath was taunting the people of Israel out there and saying, send me a man that we may fight. Everybody no doubt said, where's Saul? He's tall. He's tall, but Saul's tall. We got us a tall king. They got them a tall king. We'll put our tall king against your tall king. <laughs> now enter Saul. Crickets. Right. Saul. Where's he at? In his tent. How disappointing. How utterly, does it, we need a spiritual leader in our nation. We need somebody that'll lead us to do right. We need somebody that'll be in touch with God. Where's Saul? Indoor. At a witch's house. Trying to figure out what in the way. Okay, he went to somebody that was doing tarot cards, right? Basically, somebody that was reading the, I don't know, somebody that was in witchcraft. We need a spiritual leader. What'd they get? Somebody that's in the occult. I'm telling you, over and over and over and over again, Saul disappointed the people. Why? Why? It's the, 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 the reason for that also applies to us because of this. Anytime you try to replace God with something or someone else in your life, you will be disappointed. Generally, when you try to replace something, you're going for something better. I said, generally, when you try to replace something, you're going to go for something better. You're going to get a new phone. What are you going to do? Get a Nokia? You're going to get a flip phone? You've got, you know, the iPhone. What, where are we at? 11, 12, 13, 14? I don't, where are we at? You don't know. Huh? 13? For real? What have I got? 12? Angie, where are you at? You still in the service? I got something. I got, okay, so I want to get a, a better phone. I get a flip phone. <laughs> I'm going retro. I mean, I want something where, you know, if I need to chalk my tires, you know, like on my truck or something, 
I can use that old Nokia. No, 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 no. Nobody in their right mind would say, you know, if you want to do, if you want to, you, you want to get a new phone, go backwards. Get something less than what you've got. It doesn't make sense. You want to get a new car. All right. So you're driving a, 2000, a 2018. What are you going to get? Yeah. I mean, you're probably thinking uh, 2021, 2022, something like that. I mean, you're thinking I'm, I'm going to get an upgrade. You're probably not going to say, no, I think, I'm thinking maybe something like Model T. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? When you, when you get a replacement, you don't go to something inferior to it. We need a new coach. Well, a lot of teams need a new coach. <laughs> Co teams on searches for coaches. I mean, it's just, it's an epidemic. It's a pandemic. <laughs> teams looking for coaches. Who are we going to get? Who are we going to get? Man, we got to get a coach. We got to get a real coach. Somebody to lead us into victory, right? Yeah. Hey, you need a college football coach. You're not going to get somebody that just coached peewee football this year. Right. It'd be dumb, right? Yeah. Am, I th am I making sense? Yes, sir. Do other college teams know about this? <laughs> right? No, you're, you're going to say, man, we're... We're getting this guy because he's, he's got a proven record in defense. Or we, we're getting this guy. He's got a proven offense. We're getting this guy. We're, we're going better. What, what did Israel do? Hang on just a minute. Is this, is this making sense? Or, okay, what did Israel do? Here's what Israel did. We've got a God who's never failed us. We've got a God who's always led us to victory. We've got a God who's provided for us every single day. We've got a God who has a, a winning record, no losses, never failed, never failed. We don't want him anymore. Makes no sense. But neither does it make sense when God's people say, I'm getting out of church. I've got a church that loves me. I've got a church that preaches the Bible. I've got a church that tries to soul win. I've got a church that tries to do discipleship. I've got a church that tries to run buses, tries to reach people. I've got a church that, you know, trying to see people saved, trying to add families, trying to help people grow. But I'm, I don't want that church. Somewhere you're going to pay for that, friend. Some young person in a home and in a home that loves them and a home that's provided for them and a home that's tried to nurture and care for them. In a perfect home, no, there's not one down here on earth. But, but you're in a good home and a home that's kept you in church and a home that's tried to point you in the right direction and a home that's tried to set you up for victory and a home that's tried to help you along the way. I went out of this home. Where are you going to go? I'm going to live on somebody's couch. Yeah, I'm going to go crash there. And then I'm going to get my own place and then this and then that. I'm just telling you, if you're leaving God out of this equation, is everybody listening to this? If you're leaving God out of that equation, somewhere down the line, friend, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to wish, I wish I'd go back to where I started. I wish I could get back to where I was because really I didn't realize just how good I had it. But how many times has that story been told where some man, some woman gets crossways with, with maybe mom or dad or gets crossways with some preacher, gets crossways with somebody in the church and they get out of God's will. I'm telling you, there's always a price to pay when you get out of God's will. 
And it may not start out real bad. I mean, it didn't start out real bad with Saul. In fact, it started out pretty good. But just because it maybe started out good did not mean that it was going to end well. Here we are in a nation that says this. It's been proven. It's been proven. I just read this week out of, out of a slouching towards Sodom and Gomorrah. It's been proven through our nation's history that when you have a father and a mother raising a family, that those kids coming up are more stable and, and they, won't, they won't be uh, living in dependence on the government and they'll be having meaningful lives and they won't be involved in crime and difficulty. It's been proven throughout our nation's history. But then when we thumbed our nose at God and said, we don't want God's form of marriage. We just want to live together or we want to go into this. We want to go into that. We want to get rid of traditional marriage. And then what I read this week is, is with the rise of fatherlessness in America was also the rise, of, the rise, of course, of illegitimacy. And with the rise of that came the rise of crime. And with the rise of that, rise of that came the rise of welfare. And with the rise of that came the rise of drugs. And on and on it goes that Listen, when you try to replace what God has placed in his fabric of society, it's not going to go good for you or any other nation up on the face of the earth. And when you say, I know that God has said there's two genders and it's male and female, but we want to be more broad-minded. We want to live the way we want to live. And if anybody wants to say they're another gender, then let them say they're another gender. And if they want to marry a man, marry a man, or a woman, marry a woman, it's not going to hurt anybody. We'll just do what we want to do. And I'm telling you, friend, you may not see the effects of it in the initial stages of it, but you just give that nation long enough, you just give it time, and you'll begin to see the Romans 1 effect taking place on that nation just like it did in Rome. Are you listening to me here today? Because you cannot say we're going to replace God's image in us. Because in the image of God created he them, male and female created he them. That is part of the image of God. And you can't say we don't want that anymore. We were rejecting God and we want to rule ourselves and we want to be like all the other nations of the earth. And that we shall be. You cannot replace God and expect improvement. It's the main thing I wanted you to get tonight. You cannot replace God and expect any kind of improvement. Young people, did you get that tonight? I want to make sure you got that. You can't replace God in your life, young people. You can't. Are you listening to me? There's no replacement for him. Those of you in Patch and Pee Wee, those in the youth group, those in college, you, you can't, re- there's no replacement for God. No boy, no girl's going to replace what God can do in your life. Are you listening to me? I'm telling you, you'll save yourself a whole lot of heartache right here if you'll listen to this. Otherwise, you'll regret the day. Man, I wish I'd listened to what my parents told me. I wish I'd listened to what preacher told me because he tried to help me. My youth pastor tried to help me. But if you say, no, I can make this work. I'll, I'll just have my little thing going over here. And, and listen, that's not just young people thinking that way. That's adults thinking that way. And you, and you forsake the ways of God in your life. And you begin to think, no, I'll make life work the way I want to make it work. And I'll do this and I'll do that. And I'll take that job. I'll do this. And yes, I'll have to start missing church to do that and this. But it's what I want to do. And I don't want everybody telling me what to do. Wait a minute. Do you want God telling you what to do? 
Because you're, you're not going to replace God and find any kind of improvement here. You're just not. There's no, there's no improvement on God. There's no improvement on God's will. None. For young people or adults alike, there's none. Is everybody listening up there in the balcony? There's no improvement on who God is in your life. You can't replace him. You can't replace what a time in God's word will do for your life. You can't replace what time in prayer will do for your life. You can't replace what time in God's house will do for your life. You can't replace what God's will in your life will do for your life. You just can't replace it. We better get that deep in our soul. There's no replacement for God. None. And that's what Israel tried to do. And they were sorely disappointed. Until. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And they got back to the Bible and saw he's born in Bethlehem of Judea. Not a big town, just a little town. But it is the birthplace of another king named David, who was a man after, watch this, God's own heart. Not a replacement for God, but one that would operate under God's authority. And then later as Jesus is ruling, and in fact, someday as he rules and reigns literally upon this earth, we'll find out you won't be disappointed. And those that have trusted him are not ashamed. Those that are trusted, have trusted him as Savior have not been disappointed. And those that have spent time with him have not been disappointed. And those that bow the knee to him have not been disappointed. Those that have a relationship with him are not disappointed. And those that will be in his presence forever and ever and ever and ever. I'm telling you, friend, you don't read in the book of Revelation as the tribes and the tongues and the people of the earth are gathered around the Lamb of God that was slain for the sin of the world. You don't find them disappointed. You find them saying, honor and power and glory and hallelujah be unto the Lamb, unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now tell me that's disappointment. No, my friend, that's not disappointment. That is true joy. That is true praise. That is true worship. That is true power. That is true leadership. That's a true judge. That's a true warrior. That's a true wise person. That's the one that we need. That's who needs to rule your life too. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now you ask yourself this question. Who is ruling your life? You or him? And I'll tell you who's doing a better job. Him. There's no replacement for him. I just got excited about that. Where is the king? Well, there's only one God and you're not him. So you better just submit to his rule in your life and you will find satisfaction. Let's stand together here tonight. Is he ruling your life? Really? Is he your king in name only or is he your king in deed? Truth. What replacement have you tried to make for God? The job will never replace him. Money will never replace him. Your career will never replace him. Church ministry won't replace him. Spiritual service won't replace him. Achievement won't replace him. You'll find no satisfactory replacement for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Do you know him here tonight? We're going to have an invitation. There may be somebody here tonight that says, you know, he's not my Savior. I need him to be. We invite you to come. Be men and ladies here that have a Bible. Many have tried to find a replacement for him when it comes to salvation through a church or through works or through a denomination or through this or that, but there's no replacement for him. It's only through Jesus. 
There's no replacement for him in life either. Dear great God, um, I thank you that the search for the King of Kings led the men from the east to bow before the infant Jesus and worship. I'm thankful that Peter and James and John, Nathaniel and Bartholomew and others, that they recognized him as the Messiah, the King of Israel, and they bowed before him and they were satisfied. They had their moments like we do too. There's no judge better than you, God. There's no leader better than you. There's no provider better than you. There's no shepherd better than you. We find no replacement on this earth that would satisfy. We'll be sorely disappointed, dear God, if we try in any way to replace you with anything. I pray you'd help this truth to find a resting place in the hearts of men and women here tonight. Oh God, help us not just to be hearers of this word, but to be doers. To bow to your rule in our life, not to reject you. You've been too good to us. You're too good. Help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As we are standing tonight.